0: We read it already, but Luke 2, verse 6 to 7. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I grew up with two older sisters, which has its pros and cons. Uh, Research from the Center for Global Development indicates that children who grew up with older sisters tend to be more successful in life. Older sisters tend to spend more time than older brothers doing activities with their siblings such as reading, counting, and singing. It's very nice. Anybody grow up with older sisters? Anybody? How lucky are you? Uh, I do not remember any reading, counting, or singing. I remember torture. Um, I remember being tickled until I almost peed my pants. And I'm pretty sure one of my ears is bigger than the others from being dragged around by it constantly. But on the positive note, I grew up with strong, assertive women in my life who refused to allow their little brother to mistreat them or to mistreat any other women. And as painful as their lessons were... They were also very formative for me in my own life, growing up to be be a man, and and even in my own relationship with my wife. And currently, my wife of 15 years continues my training. Uh, She's she's much gentler, no more ear-pulling. She's much kinder in the way she teaches me. But maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned, and I know that things have changed in some ways in our culture, but I still think men should be gentlemen, I still think that men should find ways to love and serve and sacrifice for the women in their life. Now, just one small example in in our relationship. And uh, I know that my wife can open her own doors. She's very capable. But one of my rules is if we are on a date, my wife doesn't touch a door handle. The car, the movie theater, the restaurant, whatever it is, I will open all the doors on our date. It's just a simple little thing that I like to do to be a gentleman to my wife. But part of it is just that I'm worried my sisters are going to jump out of the bushes and pull on my ears if I don't. But mostly it's because I've been well trained. Because of my training, I feel like there's something fishy in the story of Mary not being able to give birth in the comfort of a lodging more suitable than a barn. You're telling me, That there's no lodging in all of Bethlehem for a woman about to give birth. Who here would not immediately move aside if a pregnant woman was about to give birth to a baby? Think about another real world scenario, maybe closer to home. You're sitting uh, on a bus or the SkyTrain and it's jammed full. And you make a stop and pick up more passengers and you see a woman come on board to the SkyTrain, great with child. And she scans the seats and realizes there's nowhere to sit and there's exhaustion on her face as she resigns herself to just grabbing the handle and standing for her journey. What would any well-trained gentleman with one ear bigger than the other do in that situation? You would immediately give up your seat. You don't even need to be a well-trained gentleman in that situation. That's just pure human decency and kindness. So imagine Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The city was jammed full. People had to travel there from all over the Roman Empire during this census that, the, that, the, that Caesar had announced. And they had to come back to their ancestral home. This was Joseph's hometown. And they were told that every room was full. But are you telling me nobody would make space? Nobody would give up their spot for a woman to give birth. You know what's actually happening? It's not so much that there's not enough room. It's more like when Forrest Gump got on the bus. There was plenty of room, but every single kid looked at Forrest, slid over and said, Seat's taken. There's no room for you here. There is always room if people are willing to make room. Now I read this passage from the New Living Translation, which is just a more modern reading of the text. Other translations might say, there is no room for them in the inn. And that translation sometimes causes confusion for modern readers because Uh, When we think of an inn, we think of like a Motel 6 or even like a bed and breakfast or a VRBO, somewhere that you book and you have a room to yourself. But when the Bible is talking about no room, it, it would have been a lot different because the hospitality industry didn't exist back then like it did today. Certainly not in a tiny town like Bethlehem that might have had just a few hundred residents. What was happening here was as people went back to their hometowns, it would have been expected for their family to create space for them. This was Joseph's ancestral hometown. He would have had relatives and friends, aunts, uncles, cousins, maybe even his parents lived there. And he shows up with his nine-months pregnant woman, and none of the family is willing to let them in. Wouldn't Wouldn't his family want to meet the new baby? Wouldn't mom and dad want to meet their new grandchild? Here's why they weren't willing to make room. Because they had heard that Mary was a pregnant virgin. Sure, Mary. Great story, Mary. It's a miraculous birth. It's the Son of God. An angel told you it was going to be born of the Most High. Great story. This is a very conservative culture. Jewish culture at the time, it was, it was a shameful taboo to have children outside of marriage, not just for the parents of the baby, but for the whole family. It would have brought shame on all of them. In fact, by law, Mary could have been executed. And in the family's mind, Joseph and Mary couldn't admit the truth that they had been messing around before marriage and they were just lying about it. So the the shame was double. So the family says, we don't have room for you. It's not a case of there not being enough space. It was a case of people refusing to make room. It was a case of people making a judgment and deciding to dole out their own version of justice. Deciding that Mary and Joseph did not deserve their hospitality. So they sent them to the stable, which might have been more like a garage in the back that had some goats and maybe a cow for milking for family needs. Ultimately, without realizing it, this was an issue of people saying, we don't have room for God. We don't have room for Jesus. He he can go outside. He He can go into exile. He can go where he's out of the way and unseen. We don't have room for him in our lives. We don't have room for the Savior. We don't have room for the presence of God. We're ashamed and embarrassed of the way he's chosen to reveal himself to the world. And the irony is that the very people who turned Mary and Joseph away are the same people who for generations had been praying for and hoping for the arrival of the Savior sent from God. But they missed him because their own expectations and their own judgmental attitudes made them blind to the presence of God in the world. How do most people expect God to show up in their lives? Through through fireballs or lightning in the skies or Mufasa's face coming through the clouds. And sometimes in the Bible, there are uh, amazing, powerful moments when God speaks in divine and and, and dramatic ways. But most of the stories of God showing up are about small, almost unnoticeable signs of his goodness and presence. A still, small voice, a, a friend with an encouragement, a small act of kindness, a cup of water for someone who's thirsty, and a baby in a manger. God shows up in unexpected ways. But when we carry narrow expectations of how God should work in the world, we often get blinded to how God does work in the world. He might be working in your life right now, but you just don't see it because your expectations are off. Or, secondly, the other challenge that was going on here is the judgmental attitudes of Joseph's family. We Christians really struggle with this judgmental attitudes. It's very ironic since there's lots of scriptures about how we're not supposed to judge, but we love to do it anyways. And so here's Joseph's family making an assumption about him and Mary, which led to a judgment and turned into an injustice. As a result, the savior of the world was born in a stable instead of the comfort of a home surrounded by a supportive family. Our judgmental attitudes push people away. We make assumptions, which leads to just ju- uh, judgments and becomes an injustice. And whenever an injustice is done, people are pushed to the margins, and God is pushed to the margins. Now, this is the Jesus who grew up, perhaps remembering the circumstances of his own birth. And he said things like, if you offer a person a cup of water, it's like you're offering me a cup of water. He said things like, if you feed a hungry person, it's like you're feeding me. He said, if you you make room for someone, it's like you're making room for me. But in the opposite way, if you shut someone out, it's as though you're shutting me out too. But it's also this same Jesus who was squeezed out, who was pushed to the side, who was sent to the stable, exiled outside where no one could see him and no one would be embarrassed. It's the same Jesus who said this in John 14. There is more than enough room in my father's home. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Did you see that? Like Joseph, Jesus made a trip back home. He went back to his hometown of heaven in which he was welcomed with open arms by his father. And Jesus says to us, guess what? There is more than enough room for you all to join me. Even though you didn't make room for me at my birth, even though I was cast aside by my own family, I was cast aside by the people I came to serve and love, I won't cast you aside. You are welcome in my home. Heaven has plenty of room. Jesus is offering an invitation to the very people who refuse to offer one to him. He's offering an invitation to you and to me. He's offering an invitation for us to come home. Now, I don't know where you're at with Jesus right now. Maybe you're a sold-out Jesus freak, and we see you every Sunday, every event. We love you. Maybe you're an Easter and Christmas Christian, and we see you twice a year. We love you too. Maybe you were dragged here by someone, and you can't wait for this to be over so you can get your free hot chocolate and go home and do better things. We love you the most. Wherever you're at with Jesus, let me invite you to at least open the door a crack today. Consider the reality that he made room for you, that God actually got off his throne, took off his divinity, became man, was born in a stable, was rejected by the ones he loves and the people he created so that he could make room for you. What would it look like in your life to make a little bit more room for god what would it look like in your life to make a little bit more room for jesus not just at christmas time but every day to make room for the god who made room for you what would it look like to say yes jesus there is room for you right here let me pray for you father in heaven we thank you so much that you sent your son into the world Rejected by those he loves, cast aside into a stable, but born into the world to love us, teach us, show us a better way, transform the world, he died on the cross and rose again. Lord, this is the good news we believe. Thank you, Jesus, that even though we didn't make room for you, you have made room for us. Lord, help us to open up our hearts and our lives to you as we remember you and celebrate you this Christmas.